I want to share really a continuation from last week. Last week I just sort of shared a bit of a personal testimony at the beginning and talked really about how growing up in a Christian family, I became a Christian when I was 18. I thought uh, when I became a Christian that I was pretty much knew how to do the whole Christian thing. And then when the Lord saved me, it opened me up to the reality of what it means to be a Christian. And even though I lived in a Christian home for all those years, church was in my home. I went to a million meetings. I went, seen some very interesting and crazy kind of things. It was only because God came into my life and made me alive spiritually that I was able to really experience the reality of knowing what a Christian is, which is knowing Jesus. So... You know, being in a Christian home is no guarantee of knowing what it means to know Jesus. And that was really my point about being spiritual. God has made us alive as Christians to be spiritual. So if you're not a Christian, you can't get it until God gets you and fills you with his life and and opens up our eyes and we experience God. Um, I'm hearing ringing in my ears. Is you hearing ringing in your ears? Is it just me? (laughs) Oh, that's worrying. Um, and so following on for that, I want to talk about um, some really challenging things, essentially. It's challenging to me. I feel quite challenged, um, challenging to speak about it. And, um, but essentially what I want to talk about, my, I have two titles. One is, the, t- the title is to, the, is to continue in the faith, and that will become clear. But the other title is the joy of knowing God is serious business. Okay, the joy of knowing God is serious business. And we have this wonderful uh, privilege of knowing God. It is the best thing that can ever happen to anybody. And anybody can come into knowing Jesus and it is the greatest treasure that you will ever have. There are Bible verses and parables that Jesus says about people that they find in a field a pearl and so they sell everything they have to gain that pearl and there's two ways you look at that. You can look at that, that's what God has done for us. But that's what we do for God. Is when you really discover the treasure of knowing God, you will give up everything for him. And if we're not there yet, it's because that's our journey. Thank you, Betsy. And that's, <laughs> money's later. The journey, the journey, and I was just saying this earlier, it's the, the perfection of Christianity, and I don't mean being perfect, I mean is knowing God in all his glory and all his wonder, all his love and all his power and all his awesome fear, um, um, fear. And I don't mean that we become scared of him, but we should fear him. The Bible says it is, a, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So, and when we, but the more we know God, the more we just want more of him and we want less of ourselves. And, and it's a wonderful privilege that we have because it's only by his grace that I've ever come into anything. It's not because of my, um, if you like, the way that my parents served God. It wasn't because they told me enough stuff. It was because the Bible teaches me the grace of God by giving me the opportunity to respond. The goodness of God leads us to repentance which is to turn and look to Jesus. I owe everything to God. I'm grateful of my parents. Don't get me wrong. They prayed for me. Others prayed for me. Maybe people in this room prayed for me and they sought God for me and people befriended me and loved me and showed me what it meant to be a Christian. But God saved me. 
And I want to just want to tell you right from the beginning what we say today. God is wonderful and he deserves our every energy and attention, our whole life. And the biblical description of a Christian is someone who has crucified themselves. They no longer live. They live wholly and utterly for God. That's what being a Christian is. So I'm going to talk about that. So um, if you had another idea of what being a Christian is, I hope that by the end of this you will see that there is a great joy and a treasure of knowing Jesus. But it's serious business. Serious business. So that's my brief introduction. I have twice as many notes today than I usually do, but it always tends to be 40 minutes, so let's see what happens. So if you've got your Bibles, um, it will come up on the screen, but if you turn to Colossians, I'm going to spend a lot of time in Hebrews because I've been studying Hebrews for about, um, well, a few months, maybe about four or five months, and I'm going to spend a bit of time in Hebrews because, and we're going to go through a lot of verses because the verses that we're going to go through are very difficult verses. People say these are difficult verses. What they mean is it's difficult because I don't like what it's saying. Um, and it's difficult because um, some people say it means this and others say it means this and they both seem right and so that's quite difficult. Also, how do we deal with that? But we're going to go through it. And um, Amen? You with me? Good. So let's look at one, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 to 23. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, he's talking to Christians, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, that is Christ, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So in, in that, it's a very interesting and quite challenging statement. There's an if. And let me just tell you again. You see this previous condition. We were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But at the cross, Jesus, his action has made the way of reconciliation back to God. And there's a purpose to his action, is that we may be holy and blameless and above reproach before him. But then you have a condition. And this is where it gets difficult. You have a condition. If, indeed, all these things, wonderful, we were alienated from God. We were against God in our minds, in our actions. We worked against God and then, but Jesus, because of his great grace and love, saved us. He went to the cross, took the sin of the world on his own being, my sin, your sin, on him. And he died for us that we might be no freedom from sin. But he didn't just die that we might just be free from sin. He died that we might be able to stand before God, holy, blameless before him. If, indeed, we continue in the faith, Stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. And it's this, it's understanding what does he mean that there is a condition? Because some might say, ah, you're only saved if what you do counts. That's a works-based idea of salvation. That's not what he's talking about. Some might say, well, what is this condition? What does it mean to continue in the faith? What does all this stuff mean? Because this is very relevant to us right now. 
Because what it's saying is this, it's not just because you stood up in a meeting some time ago and gave your life to Jesus. It's not because you went to a camp and, um, and they said, you know, come forward if you want to give your life to Jesus. Or It's not because of any of that. He's saying there's a reason right now, now, literally right this moment, are you continuing in the faith? That's what he's saying. And this isn't just Colossians. This is in Jude, this is in Peter, this is in 1 John, and this is throughout the whole of Hebrews. And that's why I want to just lay this out because, and this is the objective, the objective of this whole time is not to make us go away feeling uncertain about our salvation. It's making us go away to see the seriousness of our salvation and the potential that we can drift and fall away from what we know in God. And we see that really clearly in Hebrews. So we deal with things like you know, salvation in, in, in that to some extent. But the really important thing is talking here to Christians, continuing the faith. Christianity is not a ticket to paradise. It is a relationship with, the, with, uh, with, with God, with Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. That is what being a Christian is. It is not a ticket to heaven. So if you thought you picked up a ticket to heaven, and we've seen those kind of evangelistic plays, haven't we? Um, it is a personal living relationship with God. So, um, some of you might know Ephesians 2 verse 8, just again, just to encourage us, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Very clear. Salvation is a gift of God. It is by grace, through faith, that is the active action of you responding to God to trust him and only him, not your works for your own salvation. But it's that faith that we continue in. Continue in the faith. So Hebrews, if you turn to Hebrews, you can turn to the beginning of Hebrews. Um, I haven't chosen all of, there are more verses that we will go through in Hebrews that talk about this. And the reason that I want to go through all these verses is because you should go home and, and find this for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. You read it. You, you know, if you spend time in it and you take a look at it and then hopefully you will say, you know, the, the pursuit of God and the joy of knowing him is serious business. It's something we can't take lightly. So, now, Hebrews was written to um, a group of Christians. They were Jewish Christians, probably in Rome. Um, and they were um, considering, because of persecution, whether to give up on their faith in Jesus and go back to the Jewish traditions. Uh, because it was easier to be a Jew than it was to be a Christian. And they were suffering certain things like they were losing their jobs. Some were being put in prison. Um, some were being, you know, um, abused, shouted down, things like that. No one had died yet. Uh, so it wasn't at that level of persecution, but it was difficult and it was hard. And, and what this, the preacher, because this is a sermon, the preacher writes to this uh, group of Christians and he says, don't go back to the old way. Keep going forward. Because if, if you go back, there's danger. The only way you can go is go forward. And that's the context of, of what he's saying. And he tends to do it in this way. He says, he says things like, let me tell you about Jesus. He is wonderful. And then he'll encourage them and then he'll challenge them and say, look, if you give up on Jesus, and then he'll really lay in a challenge. So I know I'm, am I moving through this quite quick? Because I've got seven pages of notes. So uh, <laughs> let's go to chapter three. Uh, 
again, look at chapter two, verse one. Look at chapter three, verse six. Look at chapter nine, verse 28. I'm not looking at those this morning, but look at chapter three, verses 12 to 14. Let me remind you, he's talking to Christians, okay? Take care, brothers, that's brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Let me put this in our context. Elton Green Community Church, um, take care, church, lest in you, in me, there is an evil, unbelieving heart that may lead me, lead you to fall away from the living God. Wow. Well, that, John, that didn't make me feel good. Surely church should make me feel very good. And he goes on. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So he's saying here, very, I think very clearly, we've got to remember the Bible wasn't written for scholars. It was written for normal people. So don't think that there's something hidden here that only scholars will understand. But let's read it as it is. Within the context, he's saying to these people, um, and the wider context of this is, uh, is about entering into the rest of God. And he's using this illustration of when the children of Israel came out of captivity to Egypt. Now, many of us will know the story. They were kept in captivity. God led them out through Moses. They went through the Red Sea that was parted. They came into the wilderness. They came to Jericho. And what happened, what, what happened people? They didn't enter into the promised land because they did not believe God was faithful. And how many people of the age from, I think it was uh, 19 upwards, I think, only two people out of all of those, thousands and thousands that came out of Egypt, that went through the Red Sea, that came to Jericho, did not enter into rest. And he's using this as an example, saying, look, look what God has brought you out of. Look where you are going. Don't get to this place and not enter into rest. That's the challenge. He said, take care. You don't have the same unbelieving heart. The deceitfulness of sin. He's talking to Christians. Did I mention that? So we need to, and I love this, exhort one another every day. Are you seeing people? I know we might not see everyone every day. I mean, um, I don't even exhort Jana every day. Uh, keep going, Jana, in the Lord. But the, the emphasis is this. Today counts. Encourage one another today. What are you doing today? How are you encouraging your walk with the Lord today? Not Sunday or every other Sunday, as often can happen, but today. And this is this sense of this continuing in the faith. If indeed we've got to hold fast our confidence firm to the end. Now that implies that if we don't hold fast firm to the end, we can lose our grip before the end. So, see, God sees unbelief as evil. It's to not put our faith in God. It's not to trust him. And when sin comes in, our hearts can get hardened and then we start to compromise. So let's go on to the next one. Hebrews chapter four, verse 11. 
Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So the children of Israel did not enter into the promised land. So he's saying, don't you go the same way. So there's an implication there. It's you could fall at the last hurdle and you may never enter into rest, never into the promised land. Hebrews chapter 6. I might get through this quicker than I thought, actually. There's a, quite a lot of verses here, so let's just read verse 1, just the first part of verse 1. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. So he's talking to church now, he's saying, look, um, just a bit of the context, he's saying, look, I, I'm telling you this stuff, and I've been telling you this stuff, and telling you this stuff, and you're just not getting it. It's like, um, you know, you've been a Christian for a while now, and you should have grown up by now. I'm telling you about the same old things you need to grow up. Why are you not growing up? That's his basically saying, you've got to go on to maturity. And then he says this in verse 4, it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared it in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land has, that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Now this is one of those difficult passages because there are some that say, well, hold on a minute. If we go through these things, if we go through these um, points, he's saying, here is someone who has once been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the Word of God and of the powers of the age to come, that they can fall away and never find their way back to God. Now, there are two types, two ways you can look at this. On the one hand, some say Christians can know God in a powerful way and lose their salvation. Others say Christians can't lose their salvation. This just goes to show they weren't really Christians in the first place. But my point is this. He's not talking about that. He's using this as an example of truth. He's not making up some hypothetical statement of truth that says, listen, just because you've had an experience and your eyes have been opened to the things of God, that's the enlightenment. You start, you've been able to understand the things of, the, of God. Just because you've tasted of the heavenly gift, and, which may mean you've tasted of the gift of the Spirit or the gift of salvation or the gift of God, just because you've um, had 
um, um, shared in the Holy Spirit or taken part, had fellowship with the Holy Spirit, you've known the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, just because you've experienced the Word of God, you've heard God speak to you and it's brought power into your life, just because you've seen and experienced the supernatural power of God, don't rest in those things. That's what he's saying. Because the most important thing, and this is when he says about the fruit, he says this. He says, For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing. In other words, God pours out the rain, people sow the seed, they work the ground, and it reaps a blessing. Fruitfulness. He says, But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. In other words, he's saying, listen, it is not the experiences that you've had, it's the fruit that you produce. If there is no fruit in your life that is an expression of the life of God coming through your life, then he's likened it to a ground that is worthless and to be burned. But he says this to encourage us, he says, Though we speak, this is verse 9, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. I think in our case we could say we are sure of better things. There is a, a, a state of being Christian, and Jesus himself said this in Matthew 7:22. He says, On that day many will come to me and they'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Anyone prophesied here before? Anyone inspired to prophesy, to bring the word of God? Anyone um, cast out demons in the name of Jesus? I, I think if, you, if someone came here, we've got Dave Latham coming in a, in a couple of weeks, and he come and he would prophesy, cast out demons, heal the sick. We would say, boy, to be a spiritual man like that. But there are people that have done that, that will stand before God and say, have we not done mighty works in your name? This is... This is all in the Bible, Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. And then I will declare to them, Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Much like in Hebrews chapter 6, you have this experience of this incredible experience of being a Christian. And then in Matthew 7, 22, these people that have done some amazing things. But what is the key point? of Matthew chapter 7. I never knew you. So the Hebrew writer is saying, listen, it's not about the things that you're doing. It's not about all these wonderful works. People, it seems, can do these wonderful works, can have these experiences, but do they know Jesus or are they continuing in Jesus? Now, some might say, you know, if we were... Um, um, doing all these things and maybe sometime down the line they turn their back on God and that's when they meet Jesus and Jesus says, I never knew you. There are many ways people look into it, but we can miss the point. If we start to focus on these things, the encouragement of Hebrews is don't get caught up in what you've done. Don't get caught up in all these things. Right now, do you know Jesus? Is there fruit in your life today? And this is the reason why I know this is because this is what he says. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. In other words, I've seen the fruit of salvation in your life. 
I've seen things that I can say, a saved person, that's the expression of a saved person. For God is not unjust so, um, so as to overlook your work, the things that you have done, and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, have full assurance of hope until the end. So God has seen the expression of your love for him. God has seen the expression of your, your service towards him by the things that you do today. Today, God will look at our lives and he will say, I love to see what that guy, what that lady, what that young person's doing. How they're working out. This is Philippians chapter two, isn't it? Um, Verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out, that means outwork what God is working in. Let the fruit of God's life work its way out. You could look at James when James said, faith without works is dead. That's another thing you could go into if you wanted to. See, to continue in the faith is to every day is to say, how am I living out my relationship with God? How am I pursuing my love for God? And what Hebrews is showing us is that we can drift away from those things. But God is not distant. See, right after that passage, he says, uh, I'll read this last verse again, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, lazy, spiritually lazy, but imitators of those through faith and patience inherit the promises. By continuing in the faith, they inherit the promises. And then you might remember me speaking on that next passage, you can go and listen to it, where he says this, he says, um, we who have fled for refuge, this is verse 18, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. God is not distant. I know we've been talking about those things that relate to us, but we will end this talk on what God is doing. Amen? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, uh, brethren, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, when was the last time you entered into the holy places? I hope it's not just Sunday morning when you go to a meeting. I hope it's, this, is, this isn't the first time in a million years that you've come and you just, in your heart, you've wanted, as we sung earlier, to ascend the hill of the Lord. We have this wonderful invitation. And let's, let's face it, it's very difficult to, to find deceitfulness of sin, a hardening of hearts, and all these things when we are regularly coming into his presence. Impossible. I believe it, absolutely impossible to come into the presence of God and remain hardened heart because God melts our hearts. His love pours over us. His conviction reveals truth. And conviction is different to condemnation because conviction comes with the hope of change and transformation. 
You can look at Hebrews chapter 12 where it talks about we come to this, the mountain of God and it talks about different things and it says about how we meet with the angels and we meet with those who have died and gone before us. It says, and, and we meet God, the judge of all. Because in worship, we meet God, the judge of all. Not Father or Jesus who loves the cuddlers and things like this. The judge of all because he, he is dedicated to making us holy. It's the same God of the Old Testament. Anyway, where were we? And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. See, I think he's saying to them, you're feeling like this because you stopped drawing near to God. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us, and this is where we get to some practical things. Can you hear this language? Hold fast, draw near. If, if, if we just had to put our hand up in the meeting, most of the New Testament wouldn't even be needed. But he's saying, hold fast, press on. You could go to Paul. I press on to lay hold of that which Christ has laid hold of me. That's Paul. I haven't attained it yet, but I press on. There's nothing in, in Hebrews. In fact, it's just before chapter 10. Listen to this. I'll just throw this one out there. Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. He's coming back. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That's interesting, isn't it? Because we haven't got time, but saved in the Bible has a past, present, and future tense. We, are, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we shall be saved. But you can look at that in your own time. Let us consider, verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We need everyone. Do you know what? My faith and standing before God is so much more easier when I'm with others that's what church is church is not a meeting look at the new testament they they met in homes they heard teaching in large we've gone through this but it was with the brotherhood with the brothers and sisters with the church family we need each other to stir us up my early days as a christian were, were so full of blessing because i had two guys who were with me in that stirred each other up. One was a guy called Chris Lockwood, some of you might know. The other guy was a guy called Mark Flormer. I don't know if anyone else knows. And we, yeah, and they were, we were like brothers. We would not let each other drift. We would come up and say, what are you doing? But also, I would see in them how they would pursue God and it would inspire me onward. We need brothers and sisters around us. We need church. Consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some for the same reason. You can't do this on your own. Church is God's body. You can't live outside of God's body. I know we're all part of it, but God has designed us to be together. Do you remember that old advert? No, no one. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Keep going. Keep going, Mark. Keep going. What are you doing, Mark? <laughs> okay, 26. 
I need to start wearing my glasses, I think. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses... Before I go into that, in other words, there are some that believe that by giving out their assent in a meeting to be saved and to continue their life just as if nothing's changed in sin because the grace of God covers them, it's an absolute satanic lie. This one verse here, look in 1 John chapter 3 as well. It says very specifically, I ain't got time to go into it, it says um, in, in very drastic terms, that is not what a Christian is. Now, there's a difference between falling and falling away. There's a difference between stumbling and sinning deliberately. I think John says um, in similar kind of language. I can't remember off the top of my head. But this is what he's saying. that if you, if, if, As soon as you... Well, let me carry on reading. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? And has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he is sanctified, and has outraised the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In other words, he's saying to these, You want to go back to Moses? If you're going back to Moses, you will never fulfill the law, because the law cannot save you. If you turn your back on Jesus, there is no salvation anywhere else. The only thing that remains for people outside of relationship with Jesus is a fearful expectation of judgment. Why are people scared of dying? How can you be scared of nothingness? Never been able to understand that, but to be fearful of some inner deep thing, know that maybe I'm going to stand before someone give an account. The Lord will judge his people. But in the, in the words of Hebrews uh, 9, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. I think it's a very difficult thing to be in this church and to believe that you can continue in sin deliberately and call yourself a Christian. Yeah. It's not been in our culture. But we have to keep saying it to re- for it to remain in our culture. So let us draw near with a true heart, hold fast to our confession, stir up one another, take seriously that the the desires of this world will draw us away. The temptations of this life will draw us away. We need each other to stand with us, to stir up one another. How are we doing on time? Verse 35, chapter 10. Is it chapter 10? Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is great reward, for you have need of endurance. Continue in the faith. Keep going. Hold fast, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. Or you could say, my righteous one shall continue in faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve our souls. Again, 
He's talking to people saying, don't shrink back because you will be destroyed. Endure, continue. Turn to Jude, uh, which is just before Revelation at the back. Verse 3, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You could go and certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people, says, and they came in to draw people away from the faith. He said, hold fast, contend for it, fight for the faith that you've been told right from the beginning. Don't let it go into compromise. Don't start to discard certain things. Keep it. But this is the wonderful thing. In verse 24. <clears throat> No, it's verse 17. You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? By daily engaging in the love of God. By loving God. By listening, by living our life for him. By living our life with him. As I said last week, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. See, sometimes we read these things and we just breeze past them, don't we? Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. The responsibility we have with others. Where we get alongside and we challenge in grace, in love. Having mercy on those who struggle rather than just telling them to buck their ideas up. And there's this wonderful doxology at the end. Now to him, and this is what I want to end on. Now to him who is able to keep you, this is verse 24, keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. In other words, But let's just remember, God is on our side. All the uh, uh, resources of heaven are employed for you to be standing before God, holy and blameless. Everything, he's got everything in order to help me and you to know him more day by day. He has everything there that's poured out for me and you. Every resource of heaven. There is no excuse for me to go to God and say, but God, I couldn't do it. You didn't help me. The whole, everything is poured out. It says this, the fullness of Christ in the Spirit is poured out into us. So we have no excuses. We just need to, what do we need to do? If there's any actions, well, maybe we need to first embrace the be. I am 
Jesus's. I am committed. I know who I am in God. I, you know, we talk about being human beings, and the one of the most wonderful things that you can ever do is just take some time and stop and just be in His presence and say, "I know who I am. I know who I'm reliant on. I know who's got me. I know who's pursuing me. I know who's able to stop me from stumbling. I know the one who's going to pick me up. I know that is us engaging spiritually in God." The problem is that people don't do that. They give up and they follow something in the world because we're drawn away by the bright lights. He's able. He's for me. He loves me. The question is, what am I going to do? How do I work out to continue in the faith? Today. Today. Today I'm going to love God. Today I'm going to choose. I was saying, Sebastian and I were chatting the other day. When people got baptised, they made a decision to choose God every day. It was a declaration to say, I'm being baptised, not because this is my one decision, because I'm deciding to decide every day to follow Jesus. That's what it means to continue in the faith. It's to read the Bible, and when you read it, and you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 14, which I, I read out, which is one of my most challenging verses for me. I'm going to read it because I can't quote it off the top of my head yet. But the, uh, no, 1 Corinthians, two, oh, crumbs, 5, verse 14, I think. No. It says this. The love of God controls me, compels me, controls me. Because I, I reckon, I'm going to paraphrase now, recognise that Jesus died for all. That I may no longer live for myself, but for him. That's what a Christian is. You are not your own. That's what the Bible says. So what do we do with our day? How do we continue in the faith? Can I, can I do a bit of Sunday school with us this morning? Pray. Pray every day. Talk to the Lord. Walk with the Lord. Speak with the Lord. Take seriously the Word of God. Read it. If you're not reading your Bible, and, I'm, and, I, and I want to discount the, the, the uh, version Bible app uh, verse of the day, okay? You're not allowed to count that as your Bible reading. But to take the Bible, whether it's on your phone or on a bit of paper, it doesn't matter. It's the words and you read it, you meditate on it, you let it just wash over you, let it sink in and you take it and you don't just push it away when you don't agree with it. You just, let, you just eat the words and let it become part of you. And when we worship and when we serve and when we love people, when we're patient with people, when we're bearing with people, when we're having mercy with people who are doubting, we're continuing in the faith. And when we're not neglecting the meeting together. Now, I know we might have practical things that get in the way, but we have to check, I think, our motivations of our heart. You know, in, if we were just to close our eyes now, you can do this if you want, you don't have to, and just meditate on, the, on, this, on these thoughts and say, do I want to follow Jesus. What does your heart say? Because I think when we give God time, when we give ourselves time just to stop and be and say, and just give time, suddenly our hearts settle and then something rises in our heart and says, I really want to follow Jesus. 
I want to love him. I want to serve him. I want to get to know him. The other motivation of the heart is, are you willing and open to God changing you? That can be challenging. That's linked with obedience. Sometimes I just feel like I say to the Lord, Lord, you've got to change me because I can't do that on my own. But you've got to have a willingness, haven't you? Are you willing to be changed? Are you willing to allow the word of God to change you? There are certain things I believe naturally that I discount because I'm aligning myself what comes into here. I don't make this fit where I'm at. I want to be where this is at. I want to be helpful in the kingdom of God. I want to make time for him. One of the greatest difficulties in our current culture is time. But we can make time. You know the old preacher, what the preacher says, if you've got time to watch that TV program, you've got time for Jesus. We have got time. We just don't make time. Now, I'm sure there might be someone who works 24-7, literally. Well, get another job. That's not good for you. But that's true. If, if we really want to follow God and we've got no time because our, our job is basically demanding, get another job. Trust God. We live for him and not for ourselves. As I said to Paul, he says, um, uh, just in that earlier passage, when he says, I press on to lay hold of God. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So maybe I can just sum up really some of these main points. We need to take seriously the pursuit of God. The Bible says to me, it is possible for people like us who experience what we experience to fall away from God. Now, whether you want to think about what that means to salvation, that's up to you. But the great loss right now is not whether you're going to get into heaven or not. It's because if you're falling away from God, you're falling away from the blessing of knowing this wonderful, amazing God that we have. Now, not when you get to heaven. Now. As Belinda Carlisle said, heaven is a place on earth. Amen? Amen. I want to encourage you. I hope you're challenged. I don't get me wrong, this is challenging. But I hope it might lead to us to say, maybe for you to go home or even now to start to say, hold on a minute. Am I really serious about God? Or am I just playing a game? Am I playing church? I know it's great to come here and it's great, it's wonderful that you're here. And uh, I want you to keep coming here. But if you want to know the reality of knowing Jesus, for me, this is what it's about. And I don't want anyone to think that anything less is anything to do with Jesus. Amen, shall we pray? And then uh, maybe the worship team can come. Father, I just want to say thank you for the pursuit of God upon us. As Guy prayed earlier, Lord, you run to us to envelop us in your arms. You love us. You are able to keep us. Lord, and may we just be those who draw near to continue in the faith. But Lord, let us not think that this is something that can be discarded so easily. But Lord, we want to be serious about the things of God, serious about the joy of God. Lord, the wonder and the, the wonderful presence of God. 
So Lord, will you help to reveal these things to us? And Lord, we love you because you are so gracious. Lord, will you help us? Lord, will you challenge us? Lord, if we need conviction this morning, will you convict our hearts? Because we know, Lord, that you come with the power to change. Lord, you want us to know the truth. You want us in all the fullness, Lord, of your great blessing. And Lord, we don't want to miss out on what you provided for us. So we ask you, Lord, just to make these truths real to our hearts. May we be convinced, Lord, because you've convinced us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.